Welcome back, Action Alerts Plus subscribers and AAP podcast listeners. Christopher Sachi here, Lead Portfolio Manager of the AAP Portfolio at TheStreet.com. And once again, I am joined by my, apparently as it seems, brother from another mother, Todd Campbell, editor of Street Smarts. Todd, you were, uh, I say welcome back because unbeknownst to some folks, you were actually on vacation last week, taking it easy. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the three commonalities were uh, Maine, lobster, and of course, some adult beverages. Yeah, I'm absolutely 100% long on lobster and craft breweries. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, look, that's no that last part is no surprise to anybody who follows you on Twitter. I believe the handle's at uh, EB Capital, and uh, you are nice enough to, every Friday, uh, share the, uh, how do I say this, liquid refreshment that you're enjoying at the end of the trading week, and you're kind enough to tag a bunch of uh, folks, including myself and some other Real Money and Real Money Pro contributors, so we can kind of pile in with how we're unwinding. So keep up the good work there, Todd. Absolutely. And the more the merrier, Chris. Anybody who's listening wants to join into our uh, virtual cocktail party, if you will, <laughs> uh, feel free. But yeah, it was a great time up in Maine. Maine is just such a beautiful state and uh, always great to be on the coast and and enjoyed some fantastic craft brew. If, if anybody is visiting the New England area, you can make it up to Maine, um, even if it's just up to Portland, Maine, um, which is just a great town. Some fantastic, uh, exciting young breweries there. But, you know, I digress, right? <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I know the secret reason why you want people to join, Todd, because you're looking to uncover more craft breweries. You're, you can't sneak that by me, guy. Um, I think it's important to crowdsource information, whether it be for <laughs> stocks or uh, or things that are a little bit, you know, off the beat. You want to see where the market's interest is. I understand. I Absolutely. understand. So, Todd, let's, uh, let's catch up here. So, uh, as we tape this a few hours ago, we've got the June CPI report, which was, uh, by all counts, better than expected. You know, um, after seeing core CPI hover between 0.4, at, sorry, at 0.4% for uh, three months in a row, this June print came in at 0.2%. We even saw a better than expected year over year core CPI of 4.8%. Market was looking for around five. And of course, the prior month was 5.3. So, I, you know, I think this is good. The market's reacting in a positive fashion, perhaps all the Fed has done, along with some tighter credit standards and a slowing of the economy that we've seen in some of the PMI data, is finally taking the you know the big pressure off um, the CPI. However, Todd, uh, I'm a little concerned that the market could be a little excited here, just a little bit. Uh, I rather doubt that giving the ping pong up and down we've seen in the core CPI over the last 20 months, the Fed is going to go, aha, we got a good number. We're done. We got one more rate hike. That's it. I think they're going to look for more confirmation uh, in the in the vein of uh, some TV news hosts. Todd Campbell, what say you? One of the things that I like to do is what I call a walk forward, where I, I take a look at some of these major inputs. So for instance, as a proxy for food, maybe I'd look at the DBE ETF for a proxy for West Texas crude oil. I'd look at the USO. ETF, whatever. And what I like to do is I like to take the current price and then extrapolate that price forward and compare it to the prior year to see how the rate of change could play out 
if prices remain at similar levels. And what that was very helpful in allowing me to do last fall was to say, okay, inflation should start to fall pretty dramatically in Q1 um, because the year-over-year -year decline is pretty significant, for example, in gasoline and oil. Um, if you do that calculation now, however, Chris, there's still a tailwind um, for everything except for agriculture. Agriculture, um, the maximum you know, deflationary impact was already reached and it's actually up year over year. And you saw that in the food index reading for June. Um, but what I noticed in, when I did that walk forward, Chris, was that the peak, I'll call it hamstringing of inflation, um, the deceleration of inflation, right, caused by energy and materials kind of is occurring right now. So the, it's going to be harder for inflation to continue to make the kind of jumps lower like we just saw. I mean, this was a, a really good, I don't want to you know, take anything away from this report. This report was really, really good. I mean, it was better than the estimate, uh, down significantly last year, it was what, 9.1%, and now we're at 3%, um, obviously the right direction. But I think that the, it's, the easy part has been done, and now it's gonna be the hard part. And I think that one of the things we're gonna have to rely on here if we want to see inflation, especially core inflation, which is what the Fed's most concerned about, uh, we want to see shelter uh, really do a lot of the heavy lifting. And I think we're starting to see that happen because shelter lags. And there's a reason for that, Chris, and we can talk about that. But um, I think the pressure or the easy, the easy days of inflation, uh, cutting inflation, reducing inflation are kind of behind us now, and now the hard work becomes. So I, I kind of liken it to two things. Um, you know, being a former math major, the, the notion of the asymptotic line, something that is ever, you approach and approach, but you never quite get there, right? The, you, no matter how far you go. But the other is, and this is more practical, and I will admit, Todd, personal uh, example, weight loss. You know, if I have ballooned up over the holidays and I'm trying to shed some pounds, um, you know, might have had too much Christmas, as it were, or New Year's, um, you know, trying to take off 10, 15 pounds, those first couple pounds are pretty easy. But those last three, four, five, man, they are tough. And I, I think that's exactly what you're saying. I, I will say, though, on the shelter front, um, I shared this with AAP members that uh, if you look back at what uh, Lenar had to say, KB Home had to say, uh, both saw you know decent sized price declines in their average home prices, and I think it was KB Home again, if I'm remembering correctly, that forecasted even more declines in the current quarter. So there might be some additional progress on that shelter front. We'll have to see. Yeah, and the way that they do the shelter index, right, Chris, is they um, they use leases for the, you know, rather than say, you know, what the rents are being offered at now. So if you compare to say like the Zillow apartment index or something like that, we've seen um, the rate of change or the increase in, in uh, lease rates falling and falling and falling, but that's not yet reflected in the shelter index because, you know, people haven't renewed yet at these, you know, lower increases. I think the other thing that we have to point out and remind everybody is that 
We're not talking about deflation here, right? Oh, I mean, no, like, no, 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 no. It's not like the prices are rolling back. It's just they're going up at a slower rate. Correct. So, I mean, this, the pressure is still there for consumers and for companies because, I mean, you know, you had this big jump last year of 9.1%, and then now we're up 3% on top of the 9% that we saw last year. So so we, we do need to bear that in mind. Yes, we're making progress and in getting inflation down to a a, a an, e an easier level for people to digest, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that everybody should be just like going out and spending like drunken sailors because you know prices are higher. Well, Todd, speaking of drunk uh, spending like a drunken sailor, um, we are in the second day of Prime Day. Have you partaken? Honestly, Chris, I haven't, and you know I I don't know if I'm the oddball out there, but I just I, I mean if I see something tra traditionally, you know. I, I get it. I mean, I, I don't necessarily wait in, it's different than the holidays. The holidays is different, right? You're buying maybe bigger purchases or whatever. But I mean, the things that like, if it's 50 bucks or something like that, or 25, you know, I, I don't know. I, I how so about you? Have you, have so, you? So what I'm, what I'm hearing is Todd Campbell does not deprive himself. That's what I just heard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't necessarily flock on Prime Day just to see what kind of other junk I can add to my collection of junk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Own. Well, so, you know, it, it's, it's interesting, right? Because, um, just like everybody else, I, I kind of adopted maybe a more uh, discerning view on spending where, you know, I'll, I'll look at something. And I, I was doing this uh, yesterday, the first day of Prime Day and, and even earlier today. Um, and I'm looking at something and I'm like, do I want it or do I need it? What's the answer? And, and increasingly, I'm just I'm just trying to be a little smarter, you know, going more with, you know, what what do I need or what does the household need? That sort of thing. Um and I suspect yeah, and more we've people seen are that, doing Chris, that. Right? I mean, we've seen that and we've heard that from the from the department stores because you know the discretionary spending is down and spending is up on necessities. I mean, I think a lot of people like you well, are just being a little bit more thoughtful, maybe, on what it is they'll spend their money on. So the only thing I would add to that is still eating out, not necessarily a necessity, but also travel. Um, you know, and it, we'll we'll get a good update later on later in the week from Delta Airlines, but. By all accounts, the summer travel season, as measured by the TSA travel checkpoint numbers, it continues to be brisk. So, um, but let's let's segue here to the Fed, Todd. Um, you know, odds are we're going to see some other Fed heads come out uh, after the CPI number and then the upcoming PPI report and saying, you know what, still need still need to do more. I think the market's you know celebrating the June uh, CPI report by saying, oh, maybe we're right. It might just be one. But as you pointed out, we're likely to see a, a, a protracted um, path to that eventual target. So more to come on that. And I think we'll have a lot more data. Um, you know, but I think the market now is going to increasingly focus not on the July rate hike, but really the September rate hike. And we have a lot of data to go before we get there. So we'll be talking about that in the days, weeks, couple months to go. Um, but Todd, you shared with something with the uh, subscribers of Smarts that I thought was really great. Uh, I saw some news on it and I was kind of reading up on it, but I found what you had to say very insightful about the rebalancing of the NASDAQ 100 index. And, you know, it's no surprise that that index has, you know, shot the lights out, uh, just given what we've seen from the likes of uh, Alphabet, Microsoft, 
Google, um, you know, meta platforms and, and, and a handful of others. And you, you had a wonderful chart that kind of showed all of this. But I, I had to chuckle to myself because there were like the top six, top seven, right? All tech names. And then all of a sudden, PepsiCo. I actually, you know, Chris, I actually double checked. It's <laughs> the 10th largest. Okay. 10th largest holding in the, in the, yeah, I, was, I, I, I mean, look, I'm not knocking PepsiCo. We, we have it in the AP portfolio. It's a great company, quality products. And I, I do think they're going to benefit from, uh, as we say, pricing, becoming margin drivers, you know, uh, but I was just, you know, when you, when you just take it down, that's not necessarily the type of company you expect to see as the 10th largest holding in the NASDAQ 100. No, 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 it isn't. And, and you know, and we talk about, the, well, just to back up, what's happening is that the NASDAQ is a um, modified market cap weighted index of stocks. So the NASDAQ 100 is not market cap weighted, but it's modified, meaning that they have thresholds, limits of how how big they will allow any individual stock or any small grouping of stocks to get. If you exceed those thresholds, then the NASDAQ has rules in place because they anticipated that happening um, that allow them to do what's called a special rebalance where they can go out and they can say, okay, we feel we're overly concentrated in this handful of names. It's the NASDAQ 100, not the NASDAQ 7, right? So we've, we've <laughs> decided that the, they're over concentrated in these seven, Magnificent Seven is what they've been dubbed on on FinTwit and other places, Magnificent Seven stocks. It's basically the FANG members plus minus Netflix, plus Tesla, plus um, Microsoft, uh, and plus NVIDIA. Anyways, um, they can look at this and they can say, okay, we don't want the index to solely move based just on these seven names, which account for, you know, 40, 50% of the, of, the, of the index weight at this point. So what we'll do is we'll knock that weight down and then we will reshuffle that weighting somewhere else in the portfolio, in the, in the number of names, right? right? Spread the, the wealth, this, spread the wealth, Todd. Yeah, spread the wealth, spread the wealth. Now there is, you know, I looked, Chris, I looked everywhere for more specifics of how that would happen. Unfortunately, I could not, I couldn't find them. You know, I found all sorts of great PDFs on it from the, from the NASDAQ, but it might be part of their secret sauce. But they are going to tell us the changes officially that they're going to make on the 14th, which is on Friday. So everybody stay tuned, right? Because there likely is going to be some gamesmanship between then that list gets released on the 14th, which is Friday, and when the changes go into effect, which is the 24th, all right? So basically NASDAQ is sort of giving everybody a heads up so they can start making the adjustments and changes they need now so that it's not just all happening on, you know, the final day without any planning or any notification or anything else. Um, and they do that to try and smooth it out. And we see this obviously with any kind of reconstitution of the Russell 2000, which just happened. Um, this, this is not, it's rare to do a special rebalance. The last one I think was in 2011. Um, so it's not common for this to happen for the NASDAQ. But rebalancing itself on a regular quarterly and annually basis is common. And reconstitution across all indexes um, is common. So it's not like we haven't seen this dynamic play out. And typically, Chris, and I think this is important for listeners to remember, is that these are usually short-term things. So if you so the the change is long term, right? It's gonna if they reduce 
you know, XYZ from 7% to 4%. It's always going to be 4%. But the impact on the stocks typically is relatively short term. Yes. And then the okay. normal trend reverts back to the, the pre-existing trend. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, ooh, I can go out and I can make all sorts of money by gaming this with the data that comes out on Friday, no, think again. There's, there are <laughs> there are computers and smarter people than you and me wow. out there who are already working on this and you run the risk of basically being late to the dance and end up holding something that totally makes no sense for your planning and your goals and your traditional normal strategy. So just bear that in mind, listeners. So let, let me flip that around, Todd. If we're going to see this rebalancing, and there are funds out there that track this particular index, the NASDAQ 100, just like they do the S&P 500 and the Russell and, and others, um, is it possible that the uh, you know stalwart seven, as it were, uh, might see some sales pressure in their stock prices because of the people you know shifting out that have to uh, match the changes in the index as they happen? Could that be an opportunity for some folks? I think again, very short term, yes. Right. Very right. short term, yes. Because by the twenty fourth, all these things are going to be put in place. And then from the 24th on, it's just going to come back again down to supply and demand in the marketplace for QQQ, you know, for the for the NASDAQ 100. Um, so, yes, I think that in the short term, but that's the kind of gamesmanship that I think is a little risky. Like, let's put these things into context, just back up what you're saying. So the two biggest ones, right, Apple and Microsoft, right, both of them down about 2% since the NASDAQ said that they're going to do this rebalance. If you look at the 10 smallest holdings in the NASDAQ 100, which you, did, which you which did, you did. which I did, which I did. So you can go to smarts.thestreet.com, right? And you can read the article. It came out last night. Okay. So if you look at the la the bottom 10 holdings in the NASDAQ 100, they're up about 6% since Friday. So you've got the two biggest components of the NASDAQ 100 down a couple percent. You've got the bottom 10 up 6%. So I think you've got some gamesmanship where people are mm -hmm, assuming, mm -hmm. well, they're going to increase the bottom holdings, they'll benefit. You probably also have some people who are short and uncomfortable because mm -hmm, they're saying, mm -hmm. I don't know how this is going to impact me. And a lot of those stocks, people have gotten beaten up. The ones that are small holdings have been beaten up and there are pretty good sized short positions in them. But there's no guarantee, right, that in the rebalance, they're going to take from the top seven and give to the bottom 10. Correct. There is no guarantee. And the other thing we don't know is that there is also a threshold limit by sector. They call it by category. Mm -hmm. So we, in, I could not find what that number was. So listeners, if you can find it, let me know. But, but currently, I believe the NASDAQ 100 is at 61% tech. So you might want to look at that and say, oh, maybe they're thinking that we wouldn't want to necessarily rebalance the weight and keep it in tech. So maybe the smallest weights that are non-tech end up getting more of a boost than the tech, but we just don't know, and we won't know until Friday. Are you saying PepsiCo could go higher? Well, probably not, because it's, <laughs> not really, you know, it's already 2%, I think, and uh, you know, it's never 10, but I, mean, I suppose it's possible, right? I mean, it's below 4.5%, basically, I, Chris, I, is the I, weight that they, they kind of look at, and they say anything above 4.5% would make them a little bit nervous. As I like to say, I Todd, I was ribbing you for my pleasure. There was yeah. nothing, there was nothing, uh, no leading comment about PepsiCo in there. It would be great for for me and the AAP portfolio if it goes higher, but again, that that would be a short term uh, phenomenon. Um, anything else, Todd, about this particular rebalance that we got to talk about? No, I think that um, again, just what I would say is this: 
if over the course of July 14th to July 21, certain stocks do benefit from short covering ahead of this rebalance, right? Once the list is out there, right? Um, then take a look, if you're technically oriented, for example, at the charts and see whether or not the moves have boosted these stocks above critical resistance levels. At that point, you may say to yourself, okay, well, maybe the thesis is changing a little bit for that individual stock. However, again, if they rallied up and they kind of stall at those resistance levels, say the 200-day moving average and roll down, um, you might want to say, well, maybe I don't need to spend my time researching my thesis uh, anymore on that particular name. I want to focus my attention and develop my thesis on this name instead. Yeah, I was going to say, this seems to have no, I mean, in my opinion, no impact on the fundamental stories that are driving these Zero. stocks. So, you know, don't, don't be... Um, be mindful, but you know, always come back, check the thesis, check the technicals, as Todd was saying, understand what's really going on and how this simple rebalance, again, which is not uncommon across other indices, uh, as well as reconstitutions, uh, might impact things. But don't go overboard. I think that's the message, Todd. Yep, 100%. <laughs> uh -oh. All right, Todd. So the other thing we want to chat about is uh, as we sit here, we are, as I say, at the mouth of the June quarter earnings season. Uh, before we get out of here this week, we're going to have uh, one th oh PepsiCo, which we just mentioned. We're going to have Delta Airlines as well. We're going to start to get the flow of banks, including JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Citi. Now, Todd, you know, we've talked about earnings season in the past, getting ready for it, and you've, you've been nice enough to share your thoughts. Typically, you're, one of the things I know you watch is the reaction to the earnings. Are the stocks trading higher, stocks trading lower based on expectations? Let me set the table for you because, you know, I, I wrote a piece um, with AAP members in mind, uh, you know, a couple of days ago, and I said, "Geez, you know, right where we are here, the S&P 500 trading, you know, right at the upper end of the forward PE ratio. I believe it was like 20.1, 20.2 times. You know, the peak is like 20.3, so just so close. Begs the question, how much multiple expansion we might get uh, from where we are. To me, that says." It's the E that matters for the next couple quarters, Todd, to drive us higher. Uh, with that said, the consensus expectations for the S&P 500 are to deliver 7.2% EPS growth in the second half of the year versus the first half of the year, and then auto magically, as we like to say, grow 10 to 11% in 2024 over 2023. Now, it looks increasingly likely that we're having a soft landing, at least so far. That's what the data continues to support, that narrative. Um, again, we talked about the CPI. We'll have to see how that plays out. We do have credit tightening. We have the uh, consumer debt pause going away that might add an incremental 400 bucks to uh, consumer payments. So there's a lot of questions about this earnings season, Todd. You know, companies uh, might guide higher, some may not, but there's also the dollar, which has, you know, traded off, and that could be a boon for companies with meaningful international exposure. So with all of that said, Todd, is there any one particular earnings report before we get out of this week that you're gonna zero in on? And if so, why? All right, well, there's there's a lot to unpack there. I've, I've got tons of great thoughts on, on many of those things, but I'll, I'll, I'll just begin with the question that you asked me specifically, which is, am I watching a particular one? You absolutely, like I said, this 
each quarter that we've had, the, you know, we've had the pleasure of chatting right before these or during these earnings reports. I love to watch the reaction because the reaction to me is more important than the absolute number that's being reported because, okay, you can have uh, earnings fall 5%, but if people are expecting earnings to fall 10%, then, you know, that's actually a positive, that can be viewed as a positive thing because stocks are forward looking and they're anticipating that, okay, things may uh, have bottomed and, and earnings cycle may, may start to expand again. I would say though, that one thing that jumped out to me, I'm very, very curious about is the bank earnings this quarter. Um, specifically, JP Morgan, versus everybody else, <laughs> JP Morgan versus regional banks. And one of the things that I noticed as I was going through um, different stocks this, this week is I noticed that the earnings estimate for JP Morgan has increased substantially over the past 90 days. Uh, it's gone from $12.71 to $14.61 for this year. And the stock is flirting with 52-week highs, it's done very well, okay? Contrast that with some of the regional banks. So U.S. Bank Corp, all right? U.S. Bank Corp earnings estimates have been falling over the last 90 days, right? Um, and the performance of the regional bank index has significantly lagged, say, the big money center banks like J.P. Morgan. So what I'm really curious to see about this earnings season is, is the success going to remain concentrated in the few in financials or will we see any kind of broadening and maybe better than hoped out of some of these other regional banks so just a couple of thoughts there obviously uh, the call during the during the june quarter was that the uh, large money center banks as you call them were going to be net gainers right of uh, deposits just given what was going on and some concerns fears about some of the regional banks after Silicon Valley Bank's signature bank, right? I, I think that's pretty pretty evident. And uh, soon after that phenomena, we actually saw some data out there that pointed to that. But the one thing that I'm watching as it relates to these guys, Todd, and this is more true for JP, to some extent City, not for Wells, not for the regional banks, is the pickup that we may be starting to see in the IPO market and also too in the last few days We've had some interesting developments on the M&A front where a number of deals that were being held up appear that, you know, whether it's the you know, the UK CMA or the Eurozone CMA are kind of throwing their hands up going, okay, okay, proceed, which of course could generate, you know, sizable fees, especially if this Microsoft Activision deal closes. So I, I, I don't know how much of that is baked into those numbers that you had to say, but that could be a reason for them to either support those numbers, potentially guide higher. I think you're you're on to something because I mean, if you look at the M&A and IPO market was horrible last year, fees came down substantially and listeners, yes, banking is basic. You borrow at X, you lend it back out at Y, you capture the spread in the middle. Um, it's kind of, you can kind of predict what the margins are going to do and how their impact is gonna be on earnings. It, where they really can have the big swings in earnings uh, up and down is from the investment banking side of things and very profit-friendly business. So if we do see that happening, then obviously you'd want to look at some of these big banks and you'd say to yourself, okay, well, what's happening with your investment banking you know, revenue? What's Goldman Sachs would be one to look at, Morgan Stanley would be another one to look at. Um, so I, I think that um, I think that you're you're absolutely onto something. I think the other thing people are going to want to watch just more generally from these banks is what are they saying about loan demand? 
Mm-hmm. What are they saying about delinquencies and defaults? To go back to something else you kind of highlighted at the beginning of this whole you know, conversation, you mentioned the fact that the student loan payments are going to have to start up again beginning, I think, what is it, October 1st, I think? Yeah. And the average loan payment, you told me at the beginning, I think it's 400. Yeah, 400. Average loan payments, 400 bucks. So, you know, if you were on the cusp and just barely making ends meet, and now you've got to go back and pay that 400 additionally, then you haven't had to pay for the last you know, year and a half, two years, whatever it is. Um, what would what impact will that have on the economy? So I think defaults, delinquencies, uh, how willing banks are to take on risk, all those things that we, you and I highlighted from the SLU's report, the Survey of Senior Loan Officers report uh, last quarter, are still going to be something that we're going to want to keep an eye on this quarter. I agree. I agree. You know, as AAP uh, subscribers know, I've been becoming increasingly cautious about the consumer. You know, and you know, I will admit that one big reason for this is this uh, incremental $400 payment on average that kicks off in October. But as we talked about earlier, Todd, you know, even no matter how good that June CPI data is. We still are seeing upward moves in prices. That's going to continue to impact consumers. Um, And again, interest rates are likely to go higher at the margin, impacting their disposable income. So I am kind of wary about companies that are heavily reliant on the consumer kind of in the, let's call it going into the fourth quarter of the year. This incremental uh, payment, again, student debt related, could really kind of throw some cold water on the year-end holiday shopping season. Well, and that's a big deal because if you look at, you you mentioned before that the back half of this year is supposed to do all the heavy lifting for earnings growth for the S&P 500 companies. You know, I think that we're looking at what, negative 7% for Q2, essentially flat year-over-year EPS growth in Q3, and then again, a ramp back up to, I think, 7 or 8% in Q4. So if Q4 disappoints, um, obviously that would not be good for uh, for the broader economy. I think one of the things to kind of go back to the end to that $400 thing we have to pay attention to now is wage growth relative to inflation. So one of the, the, the treading water aspects for consumers has been that their wages were being outpaced by inflation, right? So inflation was growing faster than their wages were. If you can flip that script, and you can get real wage growth again, um, that might offset some of this headwind uh, associated with the you know, restarting, of, uh, restarting of student loan payments and some of these other things. So I think real wages are going to be something to watch over the course of the next three, six months. I totally agree with that. You know, but just thinking that out, if the average is 400, that's 4,800 bucks a year. So mm-hmm. you're figuring if you're the, just figure, and I realize this might not be the best for everybody, but just to keep the math simple, if your you know, pay is like $100,000, you need to get at least a 5% bump to really cover that. You know, The question is, are we going to see those types of numbers or not going yeah, forward? Yeah, will we, will we continue to see yeah. wages stay sticky while other parts of inflation have pulled down and, and then there's that, and that remains to be seen? I mean, obviously we have not seen unemployment spike yet. Uh, we have seen signs of fewer job openings in the jolts report we've yeah, seen but, signs but, with but, more initial claims but for the most part i mean right chris we're good it, you know the thing I, i'm not so sure what you're getting at by good but i will say this the nfiv small business report came out and it said you know i think it 
I'm just I'm going from memory here. Somewhere between 49 and 59% of survey respondents said, hey, we are continuing to hire, but over 90%, Todd, said they cannot find the people they're looking for. That tells me that wage pressure is likely to stick around a little bit. But again, is it enough to offset these incremental uh, headwinds to consumer spending that we that we talked about? And you know, again, for folks that might have stepped out of the room, might have got a glass of water, we're talking about um, you know the incremental uh, outflow tied to the resumption of student debt payments, higher loan, uh, higher uh, borrowing costs, just as the interest rates continue to take higher, and third, of course ongoing inflation pressures because we have yet to see deflation um so todd that's quite a bit um i just want to say one more i want to yeah, I yeah go right ahead well, one of the other things observations that i had on the earnings front that listeners may be interested in I, I haven't updated it through july but before i disappeared for vacation i went and i looked to see what happened to earnings estimates for the for the the top 10 holdings in the s p 500 over the last 90 days they're all up by an average of 10%. They're not all up, but they're up by an average of 10%. So earnings estimates for the biggest components, and maybe that's why we've gotten that concentration, right? Has been has been improving. Um, I think it's also interesting in the latest fact set report, um, taking a look at your earnings um, and, and guidance, everything. The companies that have guided higher, uh, predominantly industrials and technology, and you know that's been you know obviously you've talked about the infrastructure infrastructure bills mm-hmm. positive impact for uh, industrials companies from here. Mm-hmm. Um, we also just you referred to it. We may be underestimating the benefit of the weaker dollar on technology. You know, 59 yeah. percent of technology earnings are generated revenue are generated overseas. Now, and if you extrapolate where the UUP, the dollar index is right now, and do that walk forward I was talking about before, we are significantly below where we were in Q3 of 2022 right now on the dollar. Wow. So that headwind that has been slowing revenue and slowing profitability is flipping. And wow. I think that's one of the reasons that people are flocking towards technology lately. I, well, I think there's that. I think that we uh, saw, I think Canalysis put this out, that the PC decline in 2Q was less than it had been the prior two quarters. Uh, Micron talked about AI-related demand uh, that, you know, is helping pick up, you know, driving data center and cloud. So there are, I, I don't want to say green shoots, but there are some positive signs out there. Um, but your whole piece, your whole soliloquy, Todd, if you will, your diatribe about the the dollar and the S&P 500, I actually published some of those charts on to AAP members yesterday. Um, and that's why I'm really kind of keen to hear what PepsiCo has to say, given its multinational status. To me, that's going to be the one company out of all that we have between now and the end of the week that probably provides the most insight on the dollar and currency headwinds, potentially, as you say, and I agree, tailwinds as well. Um, Todd, before we get out of here, anything else? No. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. No, it was great. It's always great, you know, chatting with you, Chris. Hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. I, uh, I'm sure they, I'm sure they did. Todd, uh, remind everyone. I know you said it earlier, but for those who want to go look at Smarts, where can they go? All right. So just go online. If you want to read that article in the Nasdaq Rebalance, for example. And again, this newsletter comes out every day. Every day, uh, you can just go to smarts.thestreet.com. So smarts.thestreet.com. Check it out, read the article, and 
let me know what you think. Excellent. And uh, for all your Action Alerts Plus or AAP needs, march on over to aap.thestreet.com. Thanks a lot, folks. We'll be back next week with another AAP podcast.